0: not a matter of if but when a crisis could rock your world i'm rashini rajkumar crisis strategist licensed attorney and host of the crisis files in each case file we explore a real world crisis or a ripped from the headlines challenge my crisis squad and i are here to find solutions We also talk with insiders who want to help others navigate these challenges. In all cases, our suggestions are meant to help you handle your own crisis or prevent crises from happening. We do not provide legal, financial, medical, or PR advice for particular situations, but strongly recommend you seek professionals to help with your specific need. Today, I have the honor of speaking with Pat Miles, a Minnesota Broadcast Hall of Famer who spent much of her broadcast career on WCCO-TV and Care TV in Minneapolis and spent several years on her namesake morning show on WCCO Radio. Her latest endeavor is Before All Is Said and Done, her book that shares practical advice for living and dying well. A timely topic, as we learn Priscilla Presley is contesting the will of her daughter, Lisa Marie Presley, and Twitch, made famous by his connection to The Ellen Show, who died by suicide, left no will. He is married and has children. His wife filed a lawsuit to get half of his estate. We dive into these tough issues in the case file I call Death Does Not Become Us. Pat, you've become a mini-authority on the challenges and tragedies that happen after a loved one dies, this newfound expertise after you lost your beloved husband, Bucky, to cancer.
1: Well, thank you for that introduction. I'm not sure I'm an expert in this area, but I certainly have learned a lot during the last four years. What's so ironic is that today is the fourth anniversary of Bucky's death, and I know that he would love that I am talking about him today with a fellow attorney. So thank you for that.
0: Thanks for making me choke up right off the bat, Pat. That's beautiful. And let's just, you know, we honor Bucky today. We'll dedicate this case file to Bucky Zimmerman.
1: Oh, he would love that. Trust me. He loved two things. He loved it when I talked about him and he loved to have his picture taken. So this is perfect. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. It's so interesting the way you introduce this, because one of the things I learned is that we prepare for so much in our lives. We prepare for the birth of a baby. We prepare to get married. We prepare to go to school. But we do not prepare for the inevitability of our death or the death of someone we love. And as you mentioned in your intro, it leaves behind huge problems when we don't prepare. In the case of Priscilla Presley contesting a will, in the case of Twitch not having a will, it tears families apart if you don't prepare for that day when you do not come home. Because at the end of this day, people are going to fight about what's left behind when you're no longer there. And it's a sad but true fact of our culture. We don't want to talk about death. We don't want to think about death. And a lot of us don't. We leave behind what I call a trail of tears. Bucky was an attorney. I was a journalist. You would think that we would have had our act together, right? But we didn't want to think about it. And even when he became terminally ill, and then it's too late, by the way, if you wait until someone's terminally ill, because then you're not trying to collect account numbers and passcodes. You're trying to keep that person alive. If you wait, it's too late in most cases. And so you need to prepare for these things while times are good. While days are happy, while everyone's healthy and doing well, it's much easier to have those conversations then than if you wait until you're in a crisis mode. One of the interesting things, just this past week, several years ago, I had a friend who called and her husband had been diagnosed with cancer, and they wanted to know if they could come and stay in our little guest house in Arizona because there was a clinical trial going on here, and we said yes, of course, and he came was treated, and the treatments worked pretty well for. Quite a few years. Just recently, the cancer came back. And as soon as my book came out, I went to her and I gave her the book and I said, I really hope you'll read this. I think it might help you. And she said, Thank you. And of course, I'll read it. And yesterday, I got a text message from her. Her husband is in hospice. And she said, Pat, I told a little lie. I didn't read your book, but I'm sitting in his hospice room and I'm reading your book and I'm haunted by it because I didn't do all of these things. And now it's too late.
0: You know, that's an interesting word you say, Pat, haunted. And I guess that is a really good term when I think about reading your book and also meshing into that the fact that I've lost three parents, my father when I was little, my stepfather in 2018, and then my mother unexpectedly in November 2021. And each one of those, I was at a different age. We as family were at a different stage of life. But each one of them was kind of a surprise, you know, in its own way. When I was 11 years old, I didn't think my 40-year-old dad was going to die. It just didn't cross my mind. And I think back to how brave my mother was, and she really dedicated so much of the next decade to us. I mean, she ended up 10 years later getting remarried, but right away she didn't think about
1: dating. She was focused on us. But I also
0: remember, Pat, none of us got counseling after my dad's death.
1: Counseling is an interesting And it works very, very well for many, many people. And I highly recommend it. I had a hard time thinking about going to some kind of grief group because I'm not a group person. I've always been very private and actually pretty shy. So I did some individual counseling, which helped me through the early days. But when you are in what I call the grim fog of grief, it is very difficult to think straight. And I think one of the reasons I made so many mistakes is because I wasn't thinking straight. I didn't have trusted advisors in place. I basically had never dealt with other attorneys before in my life. And by the way, many widows, their first experience dealing with an attorney is after they lose their spouse. And I didn't understand the whirlwind the nightmare the hurricane i was involved in and so it resulted in so many issues so one of the things i recommend to everybody who is in the grim fog of grief is take someone with you to every meeting take someone with you who can make notes who can remember people would tell me things and i wouldn't remember what they said the next day
0: that is such a great tip in taking that person with you and isn't it true that when you do lose someone especially a spouse everyone doesn't really know what to say. And so for you to ask a friend or a relative, come with me to this meeting, I need you there, it kind of gives them something to do with their grief too. And that's helping you.
1: Absolutely. But because I'm not a person who ever asked for help very often, that seemed foreign to me. And I wish now that I had done it differently. I mean, Bucky, as you know, was an attorney. And so I used to ask him questions about things all the time that were involved legal issues. And after he passed away and I hired an estate attorney and I was calling this guy, you know, four or five times a day, asking him questions. And at the end of the month, I got a bill for like $50,000. And I'm like, Oh my God, what, what, what is this? I want that hourly rate. My goodness. Tell me about it. And I said, you know, why didn't you tell me that you were charging me $500 every time I asked you a question? Because I was used to, living with an attorney and having somebody right there to help me. I didn't realize that estate attorneys are in business to make money.
0: (laughs) Right. Like you reference many times in your book, Before All Is Said and Done, there is a business of death. There is a business of death in our country. And I think sometimes that's what puts people off. All these people, you know, creep out after someone dies. And really, you're really urging people to take control of that business of death, so it isn't as expensive as it could be. And we have more of an understanding of what our loved ones wanted.
1: That's absolutely true. And again, it just has to do with preparation and communication before you reach this point. The bottom line is we don't get to choose the day we are born. And in most cases, unless you choose to kill yourself, you don't get to choose the day you die. But the fact is, 100% of us are going to die. And as one of the death doulas said to me, you know, Pat, the two bookends, the two sacred bookends of life are birth and death. And if we treated birth the way we treat death in this culture, think about that. We wouldn't have diapers when the baby came home. We wouldn't have formula. We wouldn't have a crib. I mean, think about that. If you were so unprepared for the birth of a baby the way many of us are for the death of a loved one, what a trauma.
0: Let's talk about the death doula, because that was probably one of my favorite parts and super new learnings. I had never even heard that term before. My sister-in-law had a birth doula, and so I'm very familiar and and visualize that concept very much. Tell us about the death doula, and you know, I understand one of your daughters suggested it, but you kind of uh,
1: poo-pooed that idea. Well, I not only poo-pooed that idea, I was actually kind of mean about it. When Bucky was diagnosed, and he only lived for three months, he had stage four pancreatic cancer. Obviously, we all thought, gosh, you know, there's got to be a treatment. There's got to be hope. My daughter came to visit us, and she walked into a train wreck. Bucky was 90 pounds. He couldn't eat. He could barely get out of bed. And here I am, you know, shopping. The refrigerator is overfilled with food that he can't eat trying to act like things were normal. My daughter, Kate, pulled me aside. She goes, Mom, I know someone who could help you here. My daughter is a psychologist, so she's skilled in these areas. She said, I have a friend who could help you, who knows a death doula, who could talk to you and help you get through this. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I've never heard of a death doula. This is a millennial who's crazy bringing up death doulas. I'm like, you got to get out of the room right now before (laughs) I slap you. I mean nobody's dying here.
0: (laughs) I could just visualize this conversation knowing what I know about you. Oh my.
1: So after Bucky died and it was over, the finality of his death was, you know, foremost on my mind. I called her and I said, I want you to write me a letter and I want you to tell me why you recommended a death duel." And she wrote me a beautiful letter. She said, you know, mom, Of course, we were hoping there would be some sort of a miracle cure. But when I saw you and Bucky, I realized you are fighting a war. You are not going to win. And rather than fighting this war, why not have somebody come in and help you with acceptance? Why not have somebody come in and help you facilitate conversations that you might want to have about what you meant to each other and what he wants following his death? And write a letter to each other. That's something that you can keep. And I thought, boy, I didn't do any of that. I don't have that letter. I didn't write that letter. We didn't have that conversation. We lived until the day he died as if it wasn't going to happen to us. I mean, it might happen to other people, but it wasn't going to happen to us, right? but of course it did. And I thought, oh, what an opportunity we missed. And and Bucky, I think he would have been open to it. But for me, if I talked about him dying, it was like I thought he Think I was giving up, and for him, I think if he thought about talking to me about dying, he thought it would scare me and make me miserable and sad. So
0: even as close as the two of you were, you weren't able to be one hundred percent honest with each other in those crucial days.
1: No, we were hanging on to this myth. You know, it's like everybody else. We got up this morning, we expected the sun to come up, right? We got up every morning thinking the sun's going to rise, and so are we, and. I don't know, call it arrogance or ignorance or whatever you want to call it. But I think part of our baby boomer generation is very entitled about thinking we're going to live forever. And the person that we love is going to be lying down next to us every day for the rest of our lives. And, you know, we hope that that happens. But the truth is, the chances are pretty slim. Yeah. So the entire lesson I learned is about Preparing for this inevitability, and I think because we're so afraid of dying in this culture, and certainly I was, certainly Bucky was, I think once you face that fear head on and you prepare for it, it's like any other fear. It doesn't scare you as much as it did before. I'm not as afraid of dying right now as I was four years ago. I've prepared for it. I've made sure that my kids won't go through the hell that I went through.
0: Yeah, I can totally see that. Yeah, and you really have set your daughters up for success, both with your estate, you've written intention letters, you've written what you want, each piece of memorable and valuable property of yours, who it should go to. These are all such logistical, it seems very simple and clinical things that are almost just like rude to think about at the end of life. But if we can think about them now, while we're of sound mind, we save our loved ones so much pain.
1: You absolutely do. It's the greatest gift you can give your family. I mean, think about all the families that crack up over deaths, Uh, especially when, and there's a whole chapter on this that I call Dad Never Told Us, when dad never tells the kids what he intends to do and why he intends to do it, their memories of that can be quite different. Well, I don't think dad would have wanted that. Well, dad didn't tell me. Well, dad, I don't think thought that. But if dad writes it down and explains to his children why he's doing what he's doing, it gives them a way to accept what's happening. For example, one of the people I talked to, the father left one child more money than the other child. And the one child who got less money thought, well, dad didn't love me as much as he loved the other kid. Well, actually, that wasn't the reason at all. It was because he didn't feel like the one son had the tools and the uh, wherewithal to be as successful as the other son. So he wanted to make sure that he took care of that son, which is in a way even more loving than leaving the other son more much.
0: Right. It's so true, you know, I have to share like humor does eventually come, right? I'm hoping you've found as you remember Bucky and even those last months just some humor between you. I will tell you losing three parents it does not at all sound funny. But you find these funny moments. So after my stepfather passed in 2018, I remember sitting at lunch with my mother after she had to make the decision to turn off the machines. And we were with her sisters and one of her brothers-in-law, my brother and I, my husband. She's very Catholic, but we were going to bury my stepfather, John, in what was supposed to be her gravesite next to my father. So I said, you know, Mom... Minnesota doesn't allow a casket on top of a casket. So my goal before you die is to convince you to get cremated. And she said to me, Pat, I remember this. I remember where I was. We were eating sushi in 2018, August. No way, no how. (laughs) Then My mom doesn't (laughs) usually talk like that, but that's what she said. So jump ahead to November, 2021, when she unexpectedly collapsed. And a week later, it was my brother and I who had to turn the machines off. And in that week leading up to turning off the machines, I said, Rashawn, she's going to haunt us after she dies because we have to cremate her unless we find a plot that is nowhere close to her two husbands. I mean, we were actually in the moment also kind of laughing because we're like, please don't haunt us, mother. Please don't come back, you know, to haunt us. But we did eventually make the decision because the laws hadn't changed in three years You can only bury an urn on top of a casket, not a casket on top of a casket. So there was some humor we found on, okay, then which husband do we put the urn on? So things like that, that we Rashawn and I really wished we had had that conversation with our mother during her lifetime. So anyone listening, if you're any similarly situated to either Pat or me, please have these conversations
1: with your loved ones. Or write, as I say in the book one of the advisors' idea, write a letter of intention. What is it that you want? I don't know where to put Bucky's ashes. I still have them in my house because we didn't talk about it. Write all of this stuff down. Here's what you want. And then it takes all of that, what you went through with your brother away. You leave a gift to the people you leave behind if you just plan, prepare, and communicate.
0: And here's one more thing. I'd love your take on this. So in Losing Three Parents, I've written two obituaries now for my stepfather and for my mother. And the advice I gave all of my aunts and uncles at my mother's funeral was, will you please write your own obituary, even just a draft, and check it out, go over it with your kids. I said, you will save my cousin so much pain and you will also share because, you know, my mother and, and siblings and spouses came over from Sri Lanka. You will also be able to write down things that we don't really know how to dig up and find out about. So uh, I know at least one of my uncles has already done that. So I kind of feel like you know, just like you, you've given so many people lessons and gifts. I feel like those are some of the lessons that I was able to do. And actually, even two of my cousins sat down with their parents as well as their own families and got their estates in order after this sudden death of my mom. So, I mean, sadly, we get such lessons out of death.
1: We actually do. I mean, I have to be honest with you. This is not a book I wanted to write. This is not something I wanted to spend two years doing. But I got so angry, after Bucky died, I got so angry at both of us. I was angry at him because he didn't prepare. I was angry at myself because I was too afraid to deal with the fact that he was dying. I just was angry at some of the horrible people I dealt with after his um, passing, who, by the way, and it's sad to say, but when you're in a vulnerable state, the key is you're vulnerable. And there are people out there who will take advantage of vulnerable older women, they just will. And especially if you're a widow has never dealt with these professionals who, trust me, they know what they're doing. So I just thought I have got to somehow save other people from going through this. And I don't know why, but I was just compelled to do it. Everybody goes, oh, Pat, was it cathartic for you to do? Did it, you know, no. It wasn't. Can you imagine that during COVID, I'm on the phone every day talking to people who just lost somebody, who just lost the person that they couldn't live without? No, that is not cathartic. Well, (laughs) the
0: stories in your book are amazing. I mean, you did speak with so many people, mostly widows, some widowers. The stories are amazing. And you had some very high-profile celebrities. You had regular people, military families. I mean, This book was so well done, Pat, and so well written. I mean, it reads so quickly, yet you gain so many lessons. I mean, everyone has got to read before all is said and done.
1: Oh, I so appreciate that. You know, I didn't expect that it would actually be successful. I mean, I had to self publish it because no publisher knew me or I didn't have any background in writing a book. But I think it's hit a nerve. I really do. I think it's hit a nerve because I think COVID hit a nerve. It made a lot of us realize hey, we're mortal. This thing might actually kill us. And it doesn't matter how old we are, how fit we are. I mean, we just didn't know. And I also think the baby boomer generation has finally come to the realization that we have an expiration date. (laughs) I think our generation has been so entitled in so many ways that we didn't think this was going to actually touch us. And now we're at an age where I think we're starting to realize Maybe we better plan for this as well as everything else we've planned for in our lives. Maybe this is a good idea to do this. And I think that's why the book has touched people.
0: So many great lessons. One thing that I hope people also remember when someone has passed is don't say, call me when you need me. You just have to call them because people don't just call you. It's those people who show up or call you and make a plan for lunch or coffee that you really appreciate.
1: You absolutely do. And widows are treated much differently in this culture than widow works. You know, I can remember coming back to Arizona a couple of years ago, and I was very sad, and I got home, and I was by myself, and I called this friend of mine, and I said, oh, what are you guys doing tonight? Kind of hoping, you know, that I'd be invited over. And she said, we're having our dear friend Phil over. You know, he lost his wife, and so I'm cooking dinner for him, and we're going to have him over and cheer him up. I'm like, oh, oh." And she sounds clueless that she wouldn't just invite yeah, you naturally. Okay. Well, have a good time and see you tomorrow. Wow. Yeah. They don't think about women the same way. You know, it's, it's like they call it the casserole brigade. <laughs> so <laughs>
0: the,
1: the men marry the best casserole. Oh, my gosh.
0: Oh, my gosh. Well, so many great nuggets in this conversation as well as in her book, Before All Is Said and Done. How can people find it, Pat?
1: Well, it's on Amazon. It's at Barnes and Noble. Just Google it. I have a website before all is said and done dot com, and it'll tell you where to go to buy the book.
0: It is a must-read. Thanks to Pat Miles for her insight. Learn more about her book on Instagram at Before All Is Said and Done or the website of the same name. Today's Crisis Brief is dedicated to all those who have lost loved ones, a special dedication to those who may not have had a major loss, but want to change their trajectory into a less tragic story as they face their own and their loved ones' end of life. Number one. Communication during life is important. Though tough conversations, sit down and have them with anyone you want to know about your wishes. Number two. Write an intention letter to accompany your legal documents. Make it specific so your loved ones know how you'd want your legacy to live on. Number three, don't be afraid to ask for help, whether from a death doula, advisors for your estate and end of life decisions, or all of these people long before you need them. If you haven't already, do it now. Thank you to podcast producer Kim Inslee and audio guru Tom Hamilton of Undertone Music. Catch up on all case files at thecrisisfiles.com for the show archive plus special videos. Subscribe to our YouTube page on thecrisisfiles.com. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at The files. I'm Rashini Rajkumar. Join me next time on
1: The Crisis Files.